Hi there, my name is Mary Kilolea. Welcome to the To Be Boulder podcast, providing career insights for the next generation of women in business and tech. To Be Boulder was created out of my love for technology and marketing, my desire to bring together like-minded women, and my hope to be a great role model and source of inspiration for my two girls and other young women like you. Encouraging you guys to show up and to be bolder and to know that anything you guys dream of, it's totally possible. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hi there. Today's guest is Elaine Ma, a woman I have great respect and admiration for. She drives integrated and innovative B2B communication strategies for U.S. marketing at Intel and is an industry-leading content strategist. Among her many achievements, she is a frequent speaker at industry and government conferences and blogs on the importance of technology to the Canadian economy, as well as on emerging trends. Elaine, thank you so much for being on the show. It's wonderful to have you here. Thanks so much for having me, Mary. Okay, so I've had the pleasure of working with you in a couple of different capacities while at Intel, and I'm constantly learning from you. Um, I'd love to hear about your career journey. Um, I I know we're going to talk about your role at Intel, but let's go back a little bit prior to that and and tell me how you got into started in the industry and what drew you to marketing? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was scary to think about as we were getting ready for discussion today, but it's been, I'm on the cusp of 30 years as a marketer, which um, looking back, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. So it's been a fun journey uh, this whole time. So time really has flown but um, I started in marketing at, uh, just after university, and it was with an outdoor advertising company. So that was my first foray into uh, my professional marketing career. Awesome. And then so from there, where did you go? So I've sort of sat on all sides of the table. I've done uh, out-of-home advertising. I've done broadcast television. I've worked oh, on the agency side. And uh, in addition to Intel, I've also worked at Deloitte. So a couple of um, client-side um, opportunities. So really, it's given me, given me such a full, rounded view of what it means to take a message to market. So when you were younger, did you ever imagine you'd be working for a big corporation? Did you, did you see that? Yeah, not in a million years uh, <laughs> did I envision working for a, a corporation that has hundreds of thousands of employees. That sort of boggles the mind. Um, I grew up in uh, a mid-sized Canadian city. And, you know, my aspirations as I went through school and, and university were pretty modest. And uh, so it's been interesting to find myself in this place now. So let's talk about your roles that you've had at Intel and how long you've been there. So I've been in at I've been at Intel for 15 years now. I joined originally as the B2B marketing manager for Intel Canada. And so I was in that role uh, for probably eight years. And then um Obviously, there's a a close synergy between the Canadian and U.S. markets. And so I found myself working in a highly integrated manner with the U.S. marketing teams. And um, as marketing has evolved at Intel, I uh, slowly found myself migrating into the U.S. marketing group. And uh, about four years ago, was um, fully uh, 
working solely in U.S. marketing. So what is it that you do? Explain to someone who's not familiar with the different sides of HQ marketing to field marketing and, and you know, taking what HQ de- develops from the messaging and the tactics and your implementation of that. Sure. That's, it's a great question. So the way our marketing organization is set up is uh, there is a central objective and strategy that is developed for Intel as a whole. And that objective and strategy is passed off to each country or region um, that will be executing on that. And it's up to each country or region to determine how best to deliver against that campaign objective and strategy. So the specific tactics and paths to market are at the discretion of the country so long as they are delivering against that objective. So how do you determine the tactics to take your message to market? It's not a a solo venture by any Mm -hmm. means. So it's a, a combination of working with segment leads who have Um, a great deal of expertise in terms of who their audience segment is that we're trying to reach, Uh, whether it's a a senior business decision maker or an IT operations specialist or uh, a data architect, for instance. Mm -hmm. So really working with them to get that um, deeper understanding of that audience segment within our market. And then it's working with our agencies to Um, really look at what are the options that are available to us to most effectively and cost cost efficiency in terms of reaching that audience segment. Um, And working through all those variables uh, allows us to net out at a a plan to go to market to talk to that audience. So in in content marketing, there's so many different um, I guess, viewpoints on mm-hmm. what the funnel is. You know, there's <laughs> either awareness, uh, consideration and persuasion or, or, or decision-making, or, you know, you can add a couple different layers into mm-hmm. that. It depends mm-hmm. who you're talking to or what year it is and how they want to twist on that. So when you look at taking your message to market, do you start with understanding the KPIs as far as like your success metrics to define what um, content and how that goes through the funnel or, or walk me through some of the decisions around understanding sure. kind of a car- content strategy? Sure. KPIs are definitely part of it because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, that's what we're going to be held accountable for when we report back to our stakeholders internally uh, to be able to explain how we invested the marketing budget and what were the results. Mm-hmm. And so that is certainly first and foremost. But as you look at those KPIs, you also then also have to look at the audience segment we're trying to reach and understand what's the gap between where they are and where we want them to be in order to hit that KPI. And so understanding that span helps to shape um, that content journey. What do we need to communicate? What is the story we need to tell? Where are they in the story? And then how much of of the rest of the story do we need to communicate to them in order to help them 
um, understand the technology or understand the value of what that solution will mean to their business. Um, and so it's really drawing that picture out um, so that we can see how the content fits in to mm-hmm. fill out that story. So, so you talk about storytelling. Mm-hmm. When you're dealing with something pretty technical, how do you make that a relatable or understanding or intriguing story at the different entry points of the funnel? Fundamentally, there's always a narrative to be told. So even when we're um, dealing at a technical level, uh, whether it's the introduction of a new piece of technology or a, a new generation of technology, or whether it's a new application of existing technology, there is a narrative. And that narrative needs to be in the voice that our target audience will be accustomed to and positioned in a way that our audience will relate to. So Mm -hmm. if I have a new widget, why is this new widget going to be of interest or of value to this target segment? And so explaining its benefits to their business or explaining the improvements over what they might already be using. And and that sounds pretty basic, um, like a marketing 101, what is the product and why do they want it? But being able to put it into context for why it would be important to them, important to their business, what would the benefit to the business be or how would it make them look better at their job if they were be, to be the one to introduce this technology into their organization? Mm-hmm. Finding the way to create that relevance and that resonance within that narrative is the content strategy. Where do you find your target audience? So the target audience, um, are you speaking in terms of defining them or where they live in the wild? <laughs> well, well, so, so you've defined them and, and you, you, you know, you've got this whole persona built out and this mm-hmm. profile and, and you know directly who you're writing your ads for. But now in the wild, how do you find them? And what, yeah. what various tools do you, not tools, because I don't want you to give all of away your secrets, but, yeah. um, you know, like, I, I sometimes I think, and maybe it's because I'm a woman who loves marketing, that it's somewhat hard sometimes to think as a IT ops person who's in the trenches dealing with technology every day. So where do you go to find them? How do you, where, how does your mind from a marketer work to find them? So there are a couple of things um, that come to play there. Uh, in terms of where do we find them in a physical sense, mm-hmm. uh, certainly, uh, as I mentioned, you know, we work with different agencies to help us uh, find them through, um, so we can communicate to them through, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or through online advertising or things like that. But it's also important to um, look at tools like Dun & Bradstreet, which help us do uh, segmentation targeting um, and they have a, a number of tools in their toolkit where uh, you're able to um, define your audience by what they're interested in. So if I'm going to uh, be doing uh, a content journey around hybrid cloud, 
then we're looking for individuals in IT, in large corporations that have, through their behaviors online, um, been able to demonstrate to us that they are interested in the topic of cloud just by virtue of where their footprints on the internet have demonstrated that to us. So it sounds a little insidious, but um, that <laughs> we all leave digital footprints, whether we like to admit it or not, and no matter how assiduously we scrub our cookies. But um, th so there are, are tools like that that help us to get uh, to get in front of that audience. And then other tools um, that uh, I would love to do more of, but the opportunity to do testing or focus groups um, so we can actually hear directly from our desired audience mm -hmm. um, so that you have a better understanding for how they speak to one another and how they like to be spoken to mm -hmm. and what do they see as just puffery and what do they actually see as being a value? Mm -hmm. So when you have those opportunities to, um, to learn directly from them, it helps you as a marketer, no matter your gender or your role. Um, it, if you can find a way to put yourself into their shoes, um, it makes your messaging more powerful. So we've touched on so many great things related to marketing and your role. So what of those things, if you had to pick your favorite, I don't know if that's even, I, I guess, <laughs> what do you love about marketing? I love that there really is rarely two of the same day. <laughs> it's always something interesting, different, unexpected mm -hmm. coming down the road at you where it's like, oh, oh, we're doing that. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so that always keeps me on my toes. It keeps things from getting um, boring or um, I, it keeps me from getting complacent and certainly mm -hmm. doing marketing for a technology company where every six months our product is obsolete because we've developed something new right. uh, also keeps things from, from getting uh, dull because you're constantly in learning mode um, in order to be able to effectively speak to your technology or solution. How would you say marketing has changed in the past five years and, and where do you see it going? Oh my gosh. Uh, I would say the biggest change are in the tools that help us to deliver against our job. Mm -hmm. um, at, I said right off the top that marketing is storytelling. So mm -hmm. fundamentally that hasn't changed, but how and where we tell the story, goodness, um, it certainly doesn't look remotely like it did 30 years ago uh, in terms of our ability to find really uh, niche and um, distinct places and formats where we can deliver our story in a hyper-targeted fashion. And so um, I think that is, uh, it keeps... The, again, it keeps the job interesting because you're constantly now having to learn about uh, new new platforms on which to deliver a message and new um, 
new formats Mm -hmm. that live on those platforms to deliver a message. Um, If you think about TikTok, three years ago, no one was thinking about TikTok as a platform. And now everybody is trying to figure out "Mm, how do we approach this platform in an authentic way to talk to our audience if that's where they spend their time. Um, Similarly, um, some of the tried and true formats like the daily paper, Mm. while it is certainly having um, some challenging times, it still hasn't gone away Mm -hmm. and continues to be a format that's highly effective for certain businesses. So, um, so I, I think of, uh, I think of marketing um, roots to market sort of like a soccer pitch and, um, and the whole pitch is your field of play for how can I go to market with my message? And now there's just a whole lot more players on that <laughs> field that you have to navigate through and with. And how does everybody play together mm-hmm. to be a really effective team for your particular message? Um, that's funny that you mentioned TikTok because I literally have been just going down the rabbit hole of watching TikToks. <laughs> and, you know, with my age, I feel a little bit like out of place, if you will. But at the same time, I'm thoroughly entertained by the creativity and mm-hmm. looking at it from a marketing lens and seeing how are businesses using this tool to to get their word out and their brand out. Because, you know, businesses are out there doing it. They're just doing it more subtly and they're doing it through, you know, creative ways that the teenagers or the younger demographic don't find intrusive or objective, mm-hmm. you know. So what type of things do you do to stay up on the trends? I don't think I have a particular go-to. Mm-hmm. Certainly, um, I would love to actually attend more conferences or mm-hmm. seminars because that's where you have the opportunity to pre- to be presented with the unexpected Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to uh, have an in-service with a media partner where it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to learn the latest thing about what's happening on Facebook, or I'm going to, you know, hear uh, what another company is up to, or here's a new opportunity and they're going to come in and try to sell me on it. But when you go to an industry um, uh, workshop or, or things like that, um, you you're bound to hear new ideas or new solutions that you weren't even aware of, didn't didn't land on your radar at all. And suddenly it sparks a whole different way of thinking or it sparks uh, that possibility thinking of, oh, well, now that I know about that, what can I do with this? Like, you know, a couple of years ago, I was talking to somebody and they mentioned they're using Uberflip. And I'm like, tell me about Uberflip. And, uh, you know, they're like, oh yeah, it's a great plugin. We've got it on our, our website and now people can go in and um, they can, I, I believe their expression was they can self binge on your content in a similarly to how people go on Netflix and they start to binge on content. It's like, oh, if you liked that, you might like this. And then they start going down that rabbit hole. But in this case, it's on your content. And so I was like, oh, well, hmm. And so, you know, the mind starts to spin and you start to get ideas and, and it just 
allows for new, you know, new synapses to start firing about what could I do with that? Right. Uh, So I love that. That's what it is. It's like being an entrepreneur, you know, having that mind where it never shuts off and you're constantly thinking like, could I add that to my toolbox and how could I use that in my toolbox? Yeah. How important is strategy versus tactics in your role? And, and what do you think someone can do to sharpen their strategic thinking? Strategy is definitely a key piece to the role. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, tactics are just a, are a to-do list in a very mm-hmm. crude sense. Like, here's what I have to do. Check, 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 check. But the, the strategic part of it is to really um, be able to pull yourself out from what is the day-to-day of what we're trying to accomplish. And mm-hmm. um, the there's a need to be able to see the bigger picture of where are we ultimately trying to go um, as an organization? Where are we trying to you're trying to see beyond what is just happening this quarter and what is happening. Um, you know, it's not about how many boxes can I move of mm-hmm. a certain product. It's about what are we trying to position and where are we trying to get to six months, 12 months, 24 months from here? And what does that look like? And what do we need to do to set ourselves up for the next step of that journey? Um and so it does take bigger picture thinking. What would you tell someone who who doesn't feel their strength is strategy, yet they want to be a strategist? Is there yeah. something that they could work on? I was talking to, there's a, a girl that I've um, started mentoring and we were having a bit of a discussion around strategic thinking mm-hmm. and um, trying to apply more strategy to her role, which is still pretty tactical um, in terms of what her responsibilities are. And so I had suggested to her to think about why. Why is it we're doing this? Mm. And what are the larger business implications to this if it goes well or if it doesn't go well? And what other groups or what other teams do these decisions or results impact? And so trying to think beyond the edges of your own desk Mm -hmm. um, is where I would start. Uh, And it's not necessarily that, you know, you're going to have to put together a strategic brief next week, but if you have a trusted person that you can turn to within your team, um, or if you can find a mentor to work with so that you can start to bounce off them. Well, so this was happening in my organization, and I think this is what it means to the bigger picture. Mm. Am I on the right track? And so being able to do that and have a safe place to be told you're on the right track or no, but this Uh, but you're close and maybe think about it this way and helping to frame the thinking um, I think is a good place to start um, to exercise that strategic muscle. That is such good advice. And and I was going to say that you work your muscle, 
you work your muscle to think in those terms, to ask those questions, and then it becomes somewhat second nature. And then you start to look at things more broadly. What's been your best piece of career advice that you've received over the years? Probably the best piece of advice that I've received is um, no matter how much you love the work that you do, you still need time to disconnect Mm. and recharge. And so when you're off, you're off. Um, Otherwise you'll burn yourself out and then you're no good. So um, that's, that's been something that I've been trying to be very mindful of, especially in our current work environment where it's so easy, you're working at home, you're constantly um, with your laptop. And so it's easy to get sucked into the gravitational pull of your inbox um, and say, oh, I'm just going to clean this up a little bit. And then three hours later, it's like, oh, okay, right. time to bed. So, <laughs> um, so being able to shut your lid or turn off your phone, which I know seems like sacrilege to some, but that, <laughs> that capacity to unplug and walk away from it so you, your brain can stop and refresh, I think mm-hmm. is so important. And to be respectful of others in your, your group, if you're a manager, if you have others reporting into you, to be respectful of when they are off, mm-hmm. that you leave them to be off because right. if you don't let them recharge, then they're not bringing back to the group what they need to. So that, that, was, that was really sound advice that I received. Mm, that's wonderful. So you've worked at Intel for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. What motivates you to stay at a big corporation? Part of what keeps Intel really fascinating to me is that ongoing, relentless pace of change and seeing where we're going next, I find fascinating. Um, certainly the Intel of today is not the Intel of 15 years ago. So um mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that to me, um, I've always said I have this inner geek that just loves the fact that I'm working <laughs> at Intel, whether I knew yeah. it or not when I was, you know, when I was 10. Uh, so this this is awesome. But the other part of um, Intel that keeps me here is as much as we say we're a large corporation of 100,000 people, it's the teams that you work with day yeah. in, day out. Um that, that are your work family. And the people that I work with are, and this is not just because they're going to hear this, but they are super smart and they mm-hmm. are super fun, um, which makes all the difference. And I think uh, certainly I know I have, I don't know if you have Mary, but you know, we've had jobs where it's been like, ah, you know, this, this is not going to fulfill me forever, but this is good for me right now. Right. And, and then you've moved on. Um, but this has been fulfilling for me for the last 15 years and, and continues to fulfill me. Oh, that's great. Um, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self that, uh, that her voice has weight mm. And her opinions have merit and that she, she should be open to having her thoughts heard by others. Um, I still struggle with that. Um, 
there's there's been people who point out that um, especially when we're in the forming uh, stages of working through um, a new challenge or a new opportunity um, that I'm very quiet because I'm always just listening to take everything in and they go, but boy, once you start opening your mouth, <laughs> once you ask that first question or you start throwing stuff on the whiteboard and, and, but it, it takes me, it still takes me that ramp to the point where I'll, I, okay, I'm ready to, I'm ready to own my voice. And I think having that confidence, um, is something I, I continue to work on to this day. And so if I had, if I could tell my 20 year old self to force it a little sooner, mm-hmm. um, that I think that would be the best piece of advice. We're very much alike in that way, I think, because I am more of an observer. And I always think that, you know, your work should be your um, microphone, if you will, mm-hmm. should, should, you know, you should be judged on your work, not if you're the loudest voice in the room, et cetera. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think, and I'd love to get your perspective on this. COVID has forced people to be creative in how they are listening to their teams more. Mm-hmm. So I've been in um, a team meeting where we did this white virtual whiteboard exercise. And I was like, this is so good to give people on your staff an opportunity to be inputters without putting them outside their comfort zone of having to be raise their hand and talk in front of a group or, or you know, be outside their comfort zone. So I think it's really creative how COVID has forced leadership managers to tap into input from their team, because on their team, they're not all introverts. They're not all extroverts, you know, and I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I would agree with you that um, having this new work set up for everybody Mm -hmm. has changed the dynamic so that there is that opportunity for uh, voices to be heard instead of um, being talked over. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think especially the good, um, the good managers are, are making sure that everybody has um, the opportunity to be heard. Um, so I, I have noticed a, a shift in how meetings are being executed. Isn't that um, interesting? Yeah. Yeah. And it, particularly um, because I am often dialing in remotely in the pre-COVID, in the before time, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was often the one dialing in to a room. Mm-hmm. And so that in that is when it's particularly difficult to make sure that you're heard um, and, and, and being vocal and being a little, uh, you have to be a little obnoxious to make sure you break through the room and the noise, uh, right. the noise in the room. And so, um, when everybody's dialing in over a headset, that makes it a much more equal space. Yes. And so I think that has allowed for more people to participate. I agree. Yeah. What does to be bolder mean to you? It's about being confident in what you bring. That um, uh, in part, what we were just saying about your voice having value 
your opinions having merit. That's part of it, but it's, it's the package of who you are and your set of experiences, your ideas, your opinions, being able to channel that so that you're imprinting that on what you, uh, what your work product is, um, on your relationships, whether they're professional or personal. Mm-hmm. I think being confident in what you bring to that um, is about is what to be bolder is about. That's awesome. You mentioned um, you mentor someone. Is mm-hmm. that something that you have done personally? Are you uh, a part of an organization or or what drew you to being a mentor? Yeah. So um, it's something that I've done professionally and also personally. Um, the current um, mentee that I have is actually through uh, women um, in communications and technology Uh, group here in Canada. And so they have a national mentorship program uh, where they pair up um, uh, people. (laughs) I'm not going to call them senior uh, because (laughs) that's not fair to myself, but uh, women who are more experienced in the industry with people who are still trying to um, get their footing and establish Mm -hmm. really where they want to go with their careers and so this is, uh, it's a one-year commitment to work with this person um, in whatever facet they're looking to receive guidance. And so it's been, it's been really fulfilling um, and really just a lot of fun uh, because it's an opportunity to, um, A, not think about myself right. uh, and really focus on um, someone else who... Uh, is in a really exciting stage of their career. I, you know, if I think back to myself at um, at this person's age, she's just in her early 30s, and I think about what I was doing at the time or where I thought I was going yeah. um, to where I am now. Uh, I could not have drawn this map. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I really enjoy it. Wonderful. Have you had mentors um, over your, your work career and how have they inspired you? I have had mentors and um, they've been, they've been, whether they realize how they've inspired me and I've, I have tried to let them know how meaningful they, they have been to me. Um, but yeah, they've been, they've been inspiring in terms of how they role model what they say. It's mm-hmm. not just, talk the talk. Right. Um, so they've been um, amazing role models to me. Um, they have been amazing facilitators. They have been amazing champions. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, they've been people who have also um, had my back, both when I needed them to have my back, but also when I didn't realize they had my back. And I find out many moons later what they were doing behind the scenes on my behalf. And it's like, wow, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, um, it's amazing to, to have that, um, to know that there was somebody in my corner like that and helping me get to where I am today. And so if there's a way to pay that forward, I'm Uh, all in. Yeah. 
I love it. I love it. Um, what's next for you? I mean, where do you see yourself three to five years from now? Oh gosh. Um, I'll still be doing marketing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's not going to change. Um, but you know, the, the interesting thing about where we are and, and the organization we work with is that it could be, uh, it could be a completely different role. Certainly, um, you know, when I said to you four years ago, I started this content marketing role. Um, it was not somewhere I envisioned going, um, but certainly that's where um, that's that's where I've I've landed, and and uh, with the the pace of change for the marketing tactics and for the way we need to communicate with our audiences now. Um, in four years, there could be another marketing role that didn't exist today. Right. And that could be a, a new opportunity, a new empty box to leap into, uh, which I would be excited to take on. I, If I'm fortunate, I would like to still be at Intel. Um, as I said, it's it's been a fascinating and fun organization to work for. I love the innovation. Uh, my inner geek is so happy. Um, so uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's not a, a, it's not a riveting answer, but it's the one I've got for you. <laughs> well, no, I, I think it's a fabulous answer. And I think, you know, that was supposed to be my last question, but of course it spurred another question. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, part of when I hear you talk, it, it, it's and especially being in technology business, adaptability is such um, a key in, a skill that someone has to have. What are some of the other key skills you think are important for someone to be successful in a marketing role in a technology company? Uh, adaptability, for sure. I think you have to be... Um, I think you have to be extremely open-minded and if, um, and if you can, uh, if you're a lateral thinker, great. If you can find ways to grow your strength as a lateral thinker better, because there is rarely a direct route between A to B. It can go all over the place. And so to be open to where that meandering journey may take you um, and the unexpected things that may come at you that um, you're going to need to um, address or deflect, depending. (laughs) And again, you have to be adaptable. Some things you need to catch, some things you need to bat. Um, So I I think all of those are important. uh, and and I think that actually applies to many roles these days. Um, that that need to um, be a little less rigid mm-hmm. and a little less set in your ways, because um, there is nothing certain. There is nothing that is set in stone anymore. Everything is up for complete renewal or complete reinvention at any given moment. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Elaine, I've enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for being on the show. Um, If someone wanted to reach out and and, and contact you, how would they do that? 
Uh, you can find my profile on LinkedIn and uh, I would love to hear from them. Thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Mary. This was fun. Thanks for listening to the episode today. It was really fun chatting with my guest. If you liked our show, please like it and share it with your friends. If you want to learn what we're up to, please go check out our website at 2bbolder.com. That's the number two, little b, boulder.com.